0: Hello everybody, thank you for joining the Wedding in Spain podcast. I'm your host Paul Bird. Well, there are so many people crazy about spain just like me and well if you're one of them then you're in the right place bienvenidos to the when in spain podcast the show for spain lovers and all things spanish coming up in this episode we're going to be talking about moving to spain with children when we work with families
1: that are moving over, the first thing that we ask when there's children of school age is about the education. If you're coming over without children, it's like, where would you like to live? OK, it's a lot easier. But when children involve, involved, the first thing we say, OK, right, what about the children's schooling?
0: That's the voice of Lisa Sadlier. She spent the best part of 20 years living in Spain. And since uh, starting her own family right here, she's been helping and giving advice to others who are thinking about relocating to Spain with children. In fact, she's built up so much knowledge and insight and information through her own experiences and the experiences of other people that she's helped move to Spain with children that she's actually written a book aptly entitled moving to Spain with children. So in this episode I'm going to be chatting with Lisa. We're going to be talking as I said about all of the kind of practicalities that are involved in moving to Spain with a family and particularly with children. doesn't matter whether they're three years old or 13 years old. We're going to be talking about uh, choosing somewhere to live. We're going to be looking at the education system. We're going to be looking at the differences between private schools and the state education system in Spain. We're going to be looking at ways to help make the transition a bit more comfortable and less stressful for your children. We're going to be talking about language learning, uh, of course, learning Spanish. And other practical pointers to help you and indeed your children, if you're thinking about moving to Spain, integrate into the Spanish culture and into the local community where you decide to move to. So that's all coming up with Lisa Sadlia uh, in a few minutes. So just before we get into the interview, um, I've got a few important announcements to make, as I usually do at the beginning of the show. And I'd like to say a big, big gracias to uh, two new When in Spain patrons. So, a humongous gracias to christina Ilnerm or Ilnerma. Sorry, christina I'm not quite sure about the pronunciation of your surname, as quite often happens to me. But uh, all the same, I really, really appreciate your generous monthly donation via Patreon. So, thanks for coming, uh, a When in Spain patron. Really, really do appreciate it. And also, an equally ginormous gracias to Alex Chappelle. I don't know if it's Chappelle or Chappell. Um I'm going to go for Chapelle. I don't know. We've been chatting on Facebook. You're planning a trip to Madrid in the new year. So hopefully we can meet and I uh, will uh, provide you with some uh, important advice and recommendations for your trip when you're here. Thanks to both of you for becoming new When in Spain patrons. I think we're about 42, 43 patrons. I was kind of hoping to hit 50 patrons by now. Um, so we're kind of loitering around the 40 patron mark. Um, let's see if we can get 50 patrons supporting the When in Spain podcast by Christmas. Maybe that would be really good. If we could get 50 patrons, doesn't have to be a lot. Um, One dollar a month. a year to help support the work that I do in bringing you this podcast about Spain. Why do I ask for a small amount of patronage donations? Well, it simply helps cover my costs and more than anything, my time. To get the podcast out there via the platform I I use, there is a monthly subscription, but I also do spend probably around 10 or more hours a week, depending on the kind of episode, uh, putting the show together. And as you may have noticed, there has been quite a long gap this month. That's purely because uh, I've taken on extra hours in my uh, day job, which is teaching English, and I just haven't had the time. So if you would like more when in Spain and to give me the opportunity to scale down my teaching hours, then please uh, do. Consider becoming a When in Spain patron. Uh, anyone can become a patron. How do you do it? Just head across to patreon.com forward slash When in Spain. It's P A T R E O N, patreon.com forward slash When in Spain. You could even multitask and uh, you could even do it. Sign up to become a patron while you're listening to this episode. But if you feel that you're not in the position to become a patron, then please do one thing for me. Uh, Please either leave a review or indeed you could do both of these things. Please leave a a, a review on whichever platform you listen to the show on uh, or just leave a, a star rating. And the other thing you can do that really, really, really helps me and the podcast is to actually hit the subscribe button where you listen to. By hitting the subscribe button where you listen to the show, um, yes, I know it automatically downloads the episode when it's available, but it also helps push... Uh, when in Spain, up the podcast charts, and by doing that, gives the podcast more visibility, and in turn helps more people discover this wonderful podcast about Spain. No, I'm uh, that wasn't very modest of me, was it? But no, it does help give the podcast more vi- uh, more visibility, which is super important. So enough shameless self-promotion. Let's get into the interview with Lisa Sadlia. Uh, We chatted by Skype. Lisa lives down in Malaga province, down in the south. She actually lives in Mijas Pueblo, if any of you know it, a really beautiful part of Spain. And, uh, well, we chatted by Skype, as I said, about all things to do with moving to Spain uh, with children. So if that's you or indeed if you're just interested, uh, particularly in the education system and that kind of thing, Um, then here we are talking about that. Lisa, thanks for taking the time to join me on When in Spain.
1: Thank you, Paul, for inviting me.
0: You had written a book back in 2014 called Moving to Spain with Children, and it's uh, practical advice Warts and all, I suppose you could say, for people considering a relocation to Spain as a family. But you also have your fingers in a few other pies as well. You have a, a blog.
1: Yes, we've I've been blogging on familylifeinspain.com since about 2010, um, and that's as you say, warts and all. It comes with what we write about in the book: the trials and tribulations, the fun stuff, the challenging stuff, um, and the reality, really, of living in Spain. Um, and, and the funny things that happen um, and things like that. And then obviously we've got what we call our little bit more um, professional site, which has moved to Malaga, which That's is actually it. the official information about people who are thinking about moving to southern Spain.
0: You also work as a, a relocation agent as well, actually helping people find places to live.
1: Yes, yes. We we have a relocation and property finder company for people that are considering the the Malaga area, the southern part of Spain. We help couples, families, individuals, people that are moving over, sometimes they're looking to rent, sometimes they're looking to buy, and we offer a consultancy service where we basically make it easier for them and hopefully help stop everyone making the mistakes that you read about in the tabloids that people like to write about moving to Spain. When I started out um, before I actually launched Move to Malaga, I was actually Working helping people that made the mistakes. Um, I was working with another lady in the area, and people were always contacting us because they were getting a fine for this, a fine for that. Um, they weren't sure how to go about this, they'd done that wrong, they needed to fix it. Um, one of the most interesting, shall I say, experiences that that I had, I received a phone call from a lady to tell me that her father, who used to live in Spain, had gone back to the UK, had come out to visit her and been arrested at the airport. Um, and you know, this is A few years ago, so having made a few phone calls to the law courts and that in Malaga, it transpired that he'd had a, I can't remember if it was a parking ticket or a speeding ticket, basically he he had, I guess I can't remember now, it was a long time ago, um, and he had this ticket that he ignored, he thought, well I'm leaving the country so it doesn't matter, but of course these things, as you know, in Spain, if you don't pay something, they don't go away, they come back bigger and uglier and fatter, don't they, and they, they come and get you basically, so, like a sixty euro fine turns into a nine hundred euro, then I don't know how many thousand euros? And then basically, um, you can be arrested. So he spent a night in prison um, until he paid the paid this fine, got a lawyer onto the thing, and paid the fine. So, yeah, I'm very well, as soon as I get a fine, I go and pay it. So you realise that people were coming over here and didn't know a lot of things that were really, really important. So that's kind of how. My my role naturally naturally evolves. So hopefully I stop people getting arrested when they come out to visit
0: family. Yeah, no one wants to spend a night in a Spanish prison cell. Just give us a bit of background to your story. You live in uh, Mijas Pueblo uh, in the Malaga province in Andalusia. Actually, when you first started living in Spain, you were in the Canary Islands.
1: Okay, right, in a nutshell, very quickly, I went to university. I did two years in France and two years in London doing European business. I've always had like the travel book. So when I left there, I went off and worked um, for tour operators, being resort managers in beach resorts and ski resorts. So six months in the sun and six months in the snow. So it was a great life. You learned a lot, dealt with a lot of people, all different situations. Um, I met my husband in Andorra um, and then we traveled together to different places. And eventually we ended up in Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands. Um, we set up a business there, we ended up buying a house, we got married, we had the two children and then basically decided that the Canary Islands didn't offer enough of what we wanted for our children and our family life, um, and we came back to Malaga. Um, we'd lived in Malaga previously, as I explained to you earlier, yeah. Um Gosh, that was, oh, I can't even tell you. I told you, don't ask me about dates, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <don't. laughs> Pre-children, pre-all that, pre-marriage, we lived in Malaga and absolutely loved it. So when we came back here, Francesca was three months old, Josh was almost four years old, and we stayed east of Malaga. In the Axarquía region because we didn't want to come back to what everyone kind of frowns upon as the Costa del Sol region. You know, we were family now. We had children. You know, we had to be grown up and sensible. Yeah. Um, so we did a year in East Malaga and found that in the winter it just became so quiet. It was more for retirees. Wasn't really what we were looking for. Um, we came over the hill to Mijas, fell in love, and we've been here ever since. Now with our own house that we've, you know, refurbished and everything. Um, and yeah, I, I can't imagine living anywhere else. I'll never say never. Um, but yes, Mijas Pueblo in the you know, Costa del Sol. It's a great place to live, great place for kids to grow up. And um, we know that because we've traveled to so many places as well.
0: Yeah, so uh, Andalusia, Malaga came, came calling again. The
1: yeah, end. they say Andalusia, solo Ayuna. There's only one, and there is that it, it pulls, it pulls you. It's it's it as you know when you travel around Andalusia, there's very different areas. It's like we were just talking before. You know, Malaga's vibrant. It's got it's got so much here. It's very very cosmopolitan. It's very busy. It's not for somebody looking to escape into the hills. Although if you do head half an hour inland, you know there's some stunning places. You could be. Okay, apart from the weather, you know, a big open, the big country they call Wales, don't they? You know, it's big, green, rolling hills. There's some stunning areas in the short distance. But, you know, for me, Malaga, the province of Malaga, it's got everything that I'm looking for, for to bring my family up, basically.
0: Talking about children, I'm um, just going back to, to your book, Moving to Spain with Children. I wanted to focus on how we can make a, a move to Spain as easy and as stress-free and as comfortable as possible when you have children. And I wanted to sort of look at the different aspects of life in Spain with children. What are the key points that people should be taking into account when they're making a move to Spain with children?
1: one one size doesn't fit all one of the things I've learned being a parent and 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 speaking to so many different parents different families that you've got to trust your instinct provided you've done the homework which obviously what you were talking about just then, and we can go on to but as a parent you you know what's best for your child and whether you're at home or abroad that doesn't change so you've got to trust your your inkling your knowledge as a parent and do what you believe to be the right thing um now whenever anyone's saying that you say you know it's great if you're footloose and fancy free you can live where you like you can move every few weeks and whatever that's fine can't you but once children involve stability um i think is a is a is a major consideration and even if it isn't a cause of a problem with a child you may think it is like Francesca Josh, uh, my, my oldest child, Josh. Yeah. He's going to be 15 next month. He's the most placid, relaxed, laid back, confident. You know, everybody loves him. He's and he's he's never had any problems integrating or anything. Francesca, on the other hand, who's going to be who was 12 in August, yeah, and she was a very different child, and we we doubted her. I said this is talking from personal experience now she's not she's amazing she's incredible but in early years like you might have read in the book how I had a nightmare I was terrified of taking her to school there would be
0: tantrums she'd be punched yeah. the caretaker and, <laughs> yes, it, I, I, that did make me did make me smile when I read that bit yeah
1: yeah and literally you know you've got this most angelic looking they used to call her a doll because she was so petite and you know bare head and yes. everything and yet she would just erupt and go wild when she had to go through the school gates because she didn't want to go yes. and so you know again having moved because we, we did a short stint in France after we left ventura before coming to back as I say, home to Spain um, and so we thought we'd caused all these problems in our child from the moving and the lack of stability and everything but uh, you know as time goes on and you learn children go through phases They go through phases, no matter where you are, whether you're home or abroad. And I think many times as a parent, you're going to doubt you've done the right thing. Um, If you've got a problem with your child, because you'll think it's the move, but it's not. It's like anything. So long as you're prepared, you do the planning, you talk about it, you say we do the research. And when we work with families that are moving over, the first thing that we ask when there's children of school age is about the education it's it's lots if you're coming over without children it's like where would you like to live okay right once we you know an hour from the airport 20 minutes from the coast we want this type of house we've got this budget it's a lot easier but when children involved the first thing we say okay right what about the children's schooling so to me i would recommend any family that think of moving over the first thing you should be doing forget looking at beautiful houses in great locations because it all looks gorgeous in the sun, you know, and some of the houses, you walk into a house, you go, oh my God, this is gorgeous, but you, you could be miles from any decent schools. So you've got to think about the type of education you want for your children, whether you want private, whether you want Spanish mm-hmm. um, you know, or even different languages because there's, there's schools here, there's Finnish schools, German schools, French schools. That's you know, right. they, they, yeah. they, in, in Spain now, it, it's so say international, the education system Um But that's the first thing we focus on. Um, And the other big decision, as I say, it's whether you want them to go into the Spanish state school where they're going to be fully immersed in the language or you want them to maybe be in a bilingual school or in a completely British education. So to me, if you're a family with children of school age, that's your first step and that's the first thing you should be researching.
0: Okay, so you need to be identifying schools, first and foremost, before you start falling in love with these uh, gorgeous properties that you uh, envisage yourself living in. I'm imagining you want to be ensuring the quality of the school, like you said, whether it's public or private, and I suppose also practicalities of how far the school is from where you're thinking of living and how you're going to commute or how you're going to get your children to and from school as well.
1: Yes, definitely. That that all comes down to the location, um, without without doubt. But I think primarily what I'm uh, I mean to say is focus on what type of education and what type of school um, yeah. you attract. Because in Spain it's very different. I know in the UK they do all these league tables and this. And they're talking of doing it in Spain. You'll see it in some of the tabloids, but from personal experience, it's those that in the newspapers that are often mentioned in the league um, tables as well, aren't they? So Absolutely right. Some people say, well, I'm not sure whether I want them to go to the state school because I don't know if the language will be too much, it depends on the age of the child. You know, we've had some children, that have been teenagers, and they've adapted to Spanish school, incredibly so, um, because they're quick to learn the languages, they're not scared, Whereas if you've got a nervous, insecure child throwing them into a school where they're not going to hear anything of the native tongue, it can destroy some children, you know, so say that that's where you've got to that's where you, when you know your own child, you think, what can they cope with? And sometimes as well, it's the parents that can't cope with not understanding the language. Ch- you know, children learn so quickly and they say, oh, you shouldn't say child's a sponge, but they are. Um, I'm not saying it will be successful <laughs> all the time, but children pick up. They make friends that, you know, they don't have to fully understand each other, do they? They play games that, you know, they, they share with other children. Yes. And Sp- Sp- from your experience, what you've seen, but Spanish children are generally so welcoming. A new person goes into the classroom and everyone's there. They get invited to all the parties. It's not selected who goes to which party. It gets quite, it's quite typical for them to be 20, 20 kids at a birthday party because the whole class go. So you've
0: so, got to have 20, 20 birthdays a year to get to. to. to exactly.
1: Yeah. I tend to draw the limit 8 to 10 max. I can't do it for the twenty. <laughs>
0: I guess a, an important factor to take into account also when you're thinking of the type of school is the age of your children when you relocate, because you're talking about, um, language acquisition. Any youngsters are probably, you find it easier to learn languages, learn Spanish at a younger age than, than adults. But, um, I suppose there still is a difference between, you know, moving to Spain with a three year old compared to a 13 year old, for example.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, it's, it's all the things, isn't it? It's the friendship, it's the people they're leaving behind, you know, they, 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 as they get older, they might feel like they've been deprived of something. So it's really, really important. Uh, I've got a, a family in mind, actually, I'm talking about this, I think her daughters were 15, 15 or so, okay. moving over. And, but they... They came out with her. She came out two or three times before they moved up, and she brought the girls with her. You know, we sat there talking about it openly as well, asking their doubts, their questions. So, it's, I think, being honest and open and not hiding anything, don't throwing any surprises. The more the children are involved in the actual move itself, um, you know, the more chance you've got of success, isn't it? You know, nothing's guaranteed. You know, you could do all the research in the world. You could be the best, most honest parent, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But at least you've tried it, because the number of people—it was actually—it's um, American families that do it a lot more than British. Although I have had some British people families doing it now. They just come over for a year's experience. They come for uh-huh. a year to play as a family because yeah. they just—they see it as an enriching experience for the children. And for the language as well, because a child can pick up a lot of language in a year. So I say to some families, if you're not 100%, this is a long term commitment. So long as you work it out, you leave all your doors open at home, coincide it with the school year, speak to the school, say, listen, we're taking a year out. So you leave at the end of the school year and you come and start a Spanish school year here. You do a full year. And if you're open as a family and you say, listen, this is really good let's give it another year you know take it step by step, step, unless, step. unless you're hundred percent you're in the right spot at the right time do you know what i mean don't be scared to give it a go a lot of people as well they've got friends that live out here or they've had family that's have lived here so they've been coming here for years on holiday but living here as you know is not the same as being on holiday here isn't it but there are um, other obstacles as well that you have to learn to deal with aren't there um, with the language issue, um, I'm a, a firm believer that if you can try starting your child in a Spanish state school, irrelevant of their age, irrelevant of their age give it a go. Where you know it doesn't matter whether they've got any Spanish or not. Unless you're absolutely certain that they're not going to be able to cope with it, then fine. But that's it, talk to somebody before yeah. you make that decision. Because I've had lots of people that thought the children wouldn't be able to do it. They've done it and they said it's the best decision they've ever made. Um, because they've integrated so quickly. The children have learned the languages, they got involved. However, on the other foot as well, some people have said that even though they didn't want, the, um, they felt like the children would be nervous, they, they didn't have any language either. And they, were, they didn't really want to put them in the state education. They thought they had to, so they learned Spanish. Don't do that because a lot of the international schools are predominantly Spanish students. A lot of the Spanish send their children to English speaking schools because it's the best way for them to learn the language. So even though you're sending your English child, say, to an English school, an English private school, you'll find the majority of their friends are Spanish or the common language is Spanish. So they will still pick the language up
0: that makes sense i mean yeah if you're here for the long you know, planning to be here for the long haul and you you know language is like really as, as we both know is uh, one of the keys to integrating successfully into the culture and the local community so i guess yeah if you can if you can do that for your children and your children can uh, develop their language skills and obviously make spanish friends and i suppose through doing that you build a network of spanish friends their parents and like you were yeah. just saying you get invited to parties and uh, activities and social uh, things like that
1: yeah and it's also where, where we ended up with Micas. we picked where we live because we wanted the children to grow up in a smaller community as well um and so now like when they've got the ferries and everything they walk around the, around the village and you know all, all the, the grandparents the parents the kids they're all called the names so it's a beautiful feeling for them to grow up in that tight-knit community oh,
0: that's fantastic um,
1: Yeah, but that's what I was going to say. Something else, what you're saying about learning the language as well, Mm. a lot of people obviously um, ask about it. A great development over the past few years that I think for language learning, I don't know if you've spoken to anyone who's done it, is you can do Skype online language learning now with native teachers. Oh, that's Um, right. Skype classes, yeah, they've become um, really popular, Yeah. Yeah. Because, because again, lots of people ask, and they start classes in the UK, then they move over. They struggle to find more. You take the Skype teacher wherever you go. So, say if anyone's thinking of moving out, look online now, find a a Skype language teacher. But classes, you can do it as a family, you can do it as an individual. But the beauty is it's the continuity. And that makes a big difference. So even if you go off travelling, you move to one part of Spain and another part of Spain, if you've got the same teacher, it gives you, like the children, the stability, the continuity. And I think it helps you learn better as well.
0: Would you recommend families or children starting the language learning process before moving?
1: Definitely. Definitely. Even for the, the children, the easy thing to start, you know, start watching cartoons and programs that you can convert into Spanish. I remember my daughter grew up with Dora the Explorer, you know, like and all this. You know, the pick up words because because it makes it fun. And then when they when they go to Spain, if it's like on a, an inspection trip or just a recce or a holiday, they start recognizing things. So it starts to feel familiar.
0: I think that's what it is, isn't it? It's building that familiarity, yeah. Yes,
1: yeah, and, and then it gets rid of nerves. It creates excitement. It's like cooking as well. Cook Spanish foods some weekends. I love you, know, I love my cooking and <laughs> different foods, and that's how I, you know, got into language with my children as well. And it's like cook Spanish din- dishes and get the children involved and find the names of it and everything like that because it creates excitement. Um, And I think when they're excited, they then forget about being frightened, don't they?
0: So ahead of any potential move, maybe start gradually introducing little bits of language, little snippets of Spanish culture, Spanish food.
1: Yeah. And as you say, as many times as you can visit as possible, then it's good if you're going out, like, for example, lots of times. We do have have parents that come and visit without the children or even with grandparents or brothers and sisters and whatever, or they'll come out with family members. So they have the nice holiday and we drag mum and dad away like for a few mornings to do visiting places, visiting schools. So the children... Getting the children too involved can be a recipe for disaster as well. <laughs> you, know, you can imagine like screaming kids being dragged from five schools to five houses to, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. The way, you know, the way we do it when we're helping people, moving the people do it themselves... Planet, make it all fun and interesting for the kids they don't need to be Im- involved in the boring stuff once you know because as well imagine taking the children oh look at this house daddy i want to live in that one i like that pool better and when i like that one and, and you're like you know you're not going to you're going to create a headache for yourself when you know where you're going you've made a decision um obviously it depends on the age of them because the older children you can talk more but we still have to remember at the end of the day we're the adults and we're the decision makers aren't we um yeah. And we've got the final decision. We will do what we think is right.
0: There's the state, the state education system. There are private schools, and there are also, as you said, there are bilingual schools. And yeah, like here in Madrid, you, and I imagine all over Spain, you have like the bilingual schools with French as the co-language, uh, English of course. I think there are German, Italian. There are lots. And then you also have these schools which are kind of semi-private, semi states yeah. yeah um which i think you know used to be normally like traditionally religious schools um but not so much now could we first of all just sort of like run through the spanish state school system and what we have and the kind of age ranges age 3 to 16 is the kind of compulsory compulsory, compulsory right. education yeah. homeschooling is not a thing here but just to outline, again, for listeners who you know, may know absolutely nothing about the Spanish education system, and, and again, maybe looking at the state education system as a kind of template, you have your educación infantil, which is like the preschool, and that's from about three to six years old. But that's not compulsory necessarily, although most people do opt to enroll their children in a, in a preschool.
1: Yes, Actually, it's in the year. Something that's interesting as well, because I think in the UK, if I remember right, that it's the age of your child from September, isn't it? September through to August. Right. So, it on so, September
0: to August. Yeah. Like, in, on an academic year. Yeah.
1: In Spain, it's January to December.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: So like, for example, my son is born in November. So he's actually one of the youngest in his year, whereas in the UK, he'd be one of the oldest in his That's year
0: serious,
1: so, yeah so when when you say the infant starts the the voluntary school from age three to six it's in the year that your child turns three I so if your it. child turns three in december uh-huh. they can go to school when they're like two and a half and people are like oh my god i can't do that but it's a lot apparently one of the prerequisites is they need to be nappy free Because they don't want the, the schools, the public schools used as like a nursery or a kindergarten. There's lots of nursery options as well. And another thing, if you have got younger children and you're not sure about putting them that early in, doing the bilingual nurseries for your first year or something as well is a very nice thing to consider. If you've got a bilingual nursery in the area so that the child's getting time to adapt, But also getting an injection of the language. And for you, as well as a parent, you can be conversing with the teachers and the carers in your own language, as well as picking
0: up a bit of the Spanish. Mm, That's a a, a fantastic idea. And basically, there's no, it's never too young really to start your, your, your children with being exposed to spanish i guess no and then after after preschool we have col- what we call colegio which people might translate as college but it's not really like college in the uk it's the primary school and that yeah. is um as i understand it in two cycles from six to eight and then from eight to ten years old eight to
1: ten, 10 to twelve
0: uh or ten to twelve uh, 12,
1: um, the 12 oh, yeah. is what, what we would call the equivalent of like the junior. From age six, really, is when it starts to get more serious with the state schools. Um, and that also can be a time to think harder about, oh, we'll just put them in the Spanish school. Because once they get to age six, um, that's when the compulsory education starts. They start having exams, they have homework. Depending on the school, the levels can be different. But that's when we start, it is more serious education. And once they're at that age, if what something to prepare um, non-Spanish-speaking children for, if they're going to give it a go and go in the state system, which a lot, doing a lot do very well at, they might have to repeat a
0: year. Yes. Uh,
1: and that can be, as you know, for a child, it can be devastating because all their friends... Progress the next year, but they don't.
0: They're held back, yeah. Yeah, but then they get
1: that. (laughs) But it's a fantastic way for the language, isn't it? But psychologically, some children won't deal very well with that, will they? Because they kept down with the younger
0: kids. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it could dent their confidence, or they might start doubting themselves and think, "Well, why have I? Yeah, why haven't I moved on with my friends? Yeah, Yeah, yeah."
1: Yeah, and then of course you've got the secondary, and then you've got where they, they call it the—I can never say this word—that's the baccalaureate.
0: Yeah, it's the baccalaureate, the bachillerato. So we've got yeah, so we've got what they call ESO, no, ESO, educación education. secundaria obligatoria. Education, yeah, yes. secondary education that goes from 12 to 16 years, and then after 60 at 16, which is then optional, I suppose. Maybe it's a bit like a levels in the uk we have bachillerato which goes from 16 uh, and it can be up to 19 years where students specialize their subjects a bit more i teach some uh, students which are at this age in the bachillerato a bit like the gateway to university if you like i suppose um, where they need uh, subjects and grades to do their what they call it in Spanish, selectividad, I think, for the university, isn't it? It's like a sort of yes. uh, a selection exam for a university.
1: What, what's interesting as well, though, that and this, this is something that I think it's a change that's going to become blanket all over Spain. It's already happening in some of the schools. The, again, the, the what they call the the bachillerato, the back of yeah. those two years, you had to choose two paths. Do you know, this Letras or Ciencias. That's right. Yeah. Letras. So it was quite us. rigid.
0: It yeah, quite rigid. I was talking so funny to say that because I was literally talking with a student of mine uh, yesterday or the day before about these two paths and we were sort of I was loosely comparing it with the system back in the UK um, but it is quite rigid so you basically have to choose you get to a point where you have to choose what they call letras which is sort of um, it's sort of like arts really it is arts,
1: called
0: the arts. arts yes yes and then arts or then sciences arts yeah. sciences yeah and it's quite
1: so, it, so if you've got if you don't like half the subjects in one or half in the other, it's kind of tough, you know. But what they what they're doing now, luckily my son's school as well is doing. They're actually doing the international baccalaureate now, and so that's a lot more flexible. You you it's a lot more pick and mix. You can pick and that's choose true. which subjects you want to do, so long as you do one that falls into the science category, one that falls into a language category, one that falls into an arts category. So it's a lot more flexible, a bit like. Show my age, the A levels used to be back right, in.
0: Yeah, the day. that's exactly A levels. Yeah, you, I mean, with A levels, you could pretty much mix and match.
1: Whatever you wanted, what, yeah.
0: But if you wanted, yeah. you could study a science with a language and then you could do uh, an art subject or English or whatever. I guess, obviously, you, you know, if you wanted to be a doctor, you would have had exactly. to go to the normal yeah. sciences, but um, you still had the freedom to mix and match. Uh, between arts and sciences yeah yeah
1: yeah I do do believe a lot more schools now are going to start offering already or offering the international which I see as progress so all we need them to do is sort something out in the middle bits in the secondary bits that's where they need to um, and I'm sure it'll happen I'm sure it will you know everything changes eventually doesn't it
0: yeah it's just a matter of time isn't it it's uh yeah
1: education is it, it is a difficult subject um it's something that i've been keeping my eyes and ears to the ground for years particularly because the experience of my own children and a yeah. lot of what i've thankfully helping lots of other families i actually have ended up making my children's education choices better um learning through the experiences of others um because as I say, my ch- if I talk about my children, what they did and why I did what I did, um, basically I wanted them in state education from an early age because I wanted them to have the you know, the, the language be bilingual. So my children were in the local state school in the village until age 12. Um, mm-hmm. That's when they get to secondary level. So they actually normally change schools at, at that age and they go to, to secondary school or the institutos. Now... Depending where you are in Spain this is why I say you need to speak to other people there's lots of Facebook groups of parents groups in different areas um, and, and when you can visit the schools and everything like that as well because depending where you are, there are some fantastic state primary schools for the younger children up to age twelve. Um, my children in particular had great experience there's a lot lot of project based learning work. I um, yeah. had fantastic teachers that were very creative, yet when I've conversed with other parents um, and friends, they've just said, Lisa, my goodness, your children are so lucky, ours have just got a, a, a textbook in front of the face the whole time, they're not motivated, but I it's think not very it's like, dynamic. Uh, yeah, it, it, and as we say, can we talk about it in general, it's so um, specific to the area, to the school pool, that I wouldn't like to just generalise. Um, yeah, that and that's, that's, amazing. that's why to me it's so as you say the ages are the same and yes but even the timetables you know my children went to school from nine till two um mm-hmm. you could stay for commodore two till three and extra school activities from um, three onwards um yet some schools in the Alicante area i think they have a split timetable so they actually finish between one and three and then go back to school again three till five, which again for some people to have to take them home for two hours in the middle of the day. If you're working, so again that that's research and finding out from the from the different schools. And then when when my children got to age twelve, I'd been researching a lot um, the secondary education, and, and this is only my personal opinion and um, from research yeah. speaking to other parents. I think the secondary education in Spain is where it would be very nice if they changed it and modernised it and updated it a bit. Um, and that's what led to my personal decision to take them out of the state system. But also I wanted to do it because even though my children hold British passports, they've always been educated in Spanish. Yes. I wanted them also to be educated in English because speaking English is not the same as being able to write, To you know, isn't it? it? It's very different.
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: So it was through talking to families that I've been helping move over, deciding which school to go to. I actually came up, I went, oh my goodness, that one is completely bilingual. Because I'd forgotten, because it'd been a, a few years since I'd been there. Um, and so I opted for a, a completely bilingual school where the native Spanish teachers teach in Spanish and the native English, whether it's American, Canadian or whatever, they teach in English. So my children are having a completely bilingual education.
0: The subjects to taught in those Respective languages. We're not talking about learning Spanish or no, learning English. No. So for example, if the biology teacher is an English, an English speaker, that, that subject would be taught in English. Exactly. And et cetera. Yeah, I see. It's
1: very important because a lot of uh, the, the, the schools, the state schools, will say they're a bilingual school in Spain. Um, I, I think it's very different in the cities like Madrid and Barcelona. I think it's a bit stricter, but in a lot of places, it basically means that the teacher that teaches, say, art in English or P in English or music in English. Has spent a couple of years in the UK, but they're actually Spanish teachers, and again, generalizing, but the level of English doesn't tend to be the best. And I know the British Council for years have, have, have had this program um, where they're launching, you know, bilingual education, better English. I don't think it's working. Up to now, I don't think it's working. I don't think the success is as they want it to be, and it's a shame because the potential is huge. There's so many British people over here. You could easily put British teachers in. Absolutely.
0: And, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and the best the best experience I've, I've learned from other parents is it's where you've got a native Ayugand thing in the classroom.
0: Like There's a native there. English cl- so, like a classroom assistant.
1: Assistant, that's exactly yes. Yeah. So the teacher leads the class, but actually the children are learning the the, the correct language and pronunciation and everything from the teaching assistant. So Let's see if they develop that program further, because it would be good. Because the for is
0: huge. Yeah, because I was talking to um, a friend of mine who's a teacher, uh, uh, Spanish, um, in the state school system here in Madrid. And they're saying, from what they understand, that there's kind of long term plans for the Spanish state school system is to make pretty much all schools bilingual schools eventually. And she was saying that um, it's not so bad for the younger generation of teachers going into the system because for the most part, they have, you know, a a pretty good level of English and they're able to teach their respective subjects in English. Okay, it's not native, but it's it's a good level, you know, it might be a sort of C1 level. But the older teachers who, unfortunately, quite... A difficult situation for them who yes. have been in the system for say 20 years are suddenly finding now as gradually these colleges are being converted into bilingual uh, schools that they've now got to suddenly teach their subject in english which they may not have ever done before or may not have done for a very long time
1: and that's detrimental for the children because at the end of the day if you don't understand what they're saying because they're not exactly. saying properly how are you supposed to learn something like biology or geography or even mathematics um yeah because if, if it's not the native language or they haven't got a, a high level of proficiency in the language then they
0: shouldn't be made to do it should they no and that's the thing and yeah, uh, that's, so that's, that's, a, specific,
1: yeah, that's yeah. a specific challenge I think um and it's just you know my own experience is I just felt that as my children got to secondary level um that I wanted to pull them out of the Spanish state system because of my experience and having spoken to lots of people and done lots of research. However, again, I know of other people, again, they've got their children and they're happy. So, you know, it comes down to the parental, you know, feeling, belief of we do what we feel is right for our own individual child. And what's right for my child isn't necessarily yeah. right for another. But they're the sure. que- you need to ask the questions and speak to people before you make your own mind up. It's something that really makes my... Door drop open when someone's looking at spending, say, up to five thousand euros a month on rent for a house, Uh yet don't want to pay for private education.
0: Yeah, crazy. (laughs) Uh,
1: Again, you know, I can understand you. You don't need to spend that much on a house here, as you know. Once you've been living here, majority of the time is spent outside. We spend very little time actually indoors. And again, when we're helping people look for houses, when we get to know what they're like as a family, what they like doing in the areas, we say to people, you know, forget the big bedrooms. Why don't you make sure you've got a nice terrace, covered terrace outside and things like that? But again, think of the money when you're doing your budgeting about your move when it comes to education. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think down here in the Malaga region, we're probably looking at between about seven to maximum ten thousand a year. Uh-huh. um for uh private years private education which it can that can be like a term in the uk do you know what I mean? it, it is a lot less so if you actually go you know what do we need the extra spare bedroom just in case family come out and stay or should we go for a slightly smaller house um and keep it within budget and then we can get the children in the private school as well so mm-hmm. when you're doing your budgeting. Keep education in the back of your mind as well, budgeting for that, because even if you don't do it from the beginning, if you start them off in a state school, but you've gone for that slightly less expensive house. And after a year, you see they are struggling and it's not working. It's very easy then to get them into a a private school because obviously you've got to pay subject to waiting lists, of course, because some of the popular schools are full. Um, again, that, that's just research. And sometimes you say, OK, the school's full. Let's put them in a, a state school for the first year so they can get used to the, edu- the, you know, the language, get integrated in that. But talking to them and saying, and if, you know, if we find it's too hard, we'll try and get into the school another year.
0: Because I think you know, if you compare it to the UK, and I guess because the system in the UK is maybe more, it's just a bit more simple, um, and it's a, it always seems to be more of a, a straight trajectory. You you know, obviously, you have things like uh catchment areas and things, and yes, everybody just to say ready. that,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that amazed me, again, when I did a survey a few years ago, asked the number of people, how many people look at the school before deciding their area going to live, and hardly anybody did at all, whereas in the UK, you know, property prices, people try and get addresses within the catchment area, don't they, because of the school. For a particular yeah. school. Yeah. Yet yeah, lots of people even when they contact us they say, oh gosh, we haven't thought of doing that first. They're busy thinking finding the house to live. And then they go, Oh yeah, we haven't thought about looking at the schools.
0: Yeah, so absolutely. that's
1: like, my number one always with you've got children of schooling age, your first step should be looking at the schools before you do anything else.
0: Yeah, because when I think of the UK, you kind of you uh, well certainly my experience in the state school system in the UK, um, albeit quite a long time ago now um, as long as <laughs> <laughs> um is that you know you you go to a, a primary school based on you know your catchment area where you live and then usually a sort of selection of you know maybe four or five primary schools feed into two or three specific uh, upper schools Um, And that's it. And it's kind of that is the choice. You go, you either go to this school, this school or this school. And it's not so much kind of shopping around, as it were, in the state sector, I suppose. I guess in a private uh, education, it's a different story.
1: And and again, here, it's like depending which primary school you go to here, it might lead to a, a secondary school. What tends to happen, though, that one primary school here can feed into two or three different secondary schools, um and as you say they they do you know it works like on a point system so if you have a brother or sister that goes to the school already you're more likely to get into that one if you live within an area if your parents work in that area so again it all goes on points but it can go to the point where you leave a a a, a junior school and your children could be allocated separate secondary schools
0: yes okay it's,
1: it's still in the same area so yeah it is you know, but at the end of the day, that's just understanding it's understanding, it's taking it step by step and getting someone to help you if you need it
0: yeah absolutely i didn't i wasn't aware of this uh, the point system so yeah. so if you have a sibling in the same school that's in your favor yes uh, especially if you live within a certain radius of the school or if your parents work within a radius of yeah. the school yeah yeah and,
1: and that, that's why again a lot of people think getting you know, the other padron certificate isn't important but basically the padron certificate proves that you live within an area and that is essential when you're trying to get your children into the local school because it proves
0: that you are living in that area yeah. well that's important to note for I suppose for any, for any listeners who are not sure yet what a pantheron is it's uh, when you uh, register officially register with the local um well your Apple. local account yeah and uh, it's, it's kind of like the maybe the electoral roll yes. in the UK but uh, but it has other things connected with it as well like you said
1: yeah, but I, I always agree with this as well because I think when you're living somewhere, at the end of the day, if your community says it's got X amount of people on the the register who live in that area, that's how like funds of money gets um, distributed by the government as well.
0: That's, yeah, yeah.
1: And you're living in this area where there's like a thousand people and only 200 are actually registered on the padrón.
0: Yeah, there
1: you get money for your roads, your schools, and all the other community things for 200 people's worth. So, to me, it's it's fundamental. If you're going to be part of a community, whether you want to get the children into school or not, go and register at your local town hall.
0: Go and register. And it's not not a difficult process, really, either, to do, uh, compared with uh, many uh, bureaucratic processes.
1: Another thing to mention as well, because I know, particularly with families coming from the UK and and, and the States as well, sports is a big influence in which school um, people pick. And I think take separate the sports and extracurricular activities from the school because from experience here there's some great schools and they don't actually offer a lot of sports facilities however going to different clubs to rugby clubs to football clubs oh I'm not, as you know i'm a paddle addict you're coming over as a family <laughs> loves to play paddle tennis if I you do. told me a few years ago i would find 10 12 hours a week to play sport i'd have laughed at you but now i do it i play it with my son Um, but yeah the schools don't not some of them do but they don't put a massive influence sometimes on the sports but don't let that stop you going to a school that you love because there are so many clubs and activities for children everywhere Um, doesn't
0: necessarily have to be connected with the school
1: oh no let them come home do some homework then take them off to the club or if you need the child to stay in the same place because you're obliged through work and things like that then fair enough but don't, don't stop going to school because it doesn't do the sports that your child loves because you will find that sports club nearby. Um, and that opens bigger circles for integration and making friends as well.
0: Of course, of course. Um, what In your experience, I guess it's a bit of a tricky question to answer because you're, both of your children were born in Spain and, and they don't know anything other than the, the, the Spanish school systems that they've been through here. But in terms of... Uh, teaching methods and homework and exams and that kind of thing a lot of people tend to think and I don't know how accurate the observation is is that in Spain it's very much sort of exam and test based and from and, and quite a young age and certainly compared to the UK that you know kids are exposed to this sort of exam and test culture uh, from a younger age and a lot more often than maybe in the back in the UK
1: Dep- again it depends on the school If you've got the open enough mind to go abroad and to live a different experience, education, yes, is important, but I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. And I think changing the way that your child learns, the way that they're taught, is all part of the experience of living somewhere different. Um, And it's like adapting to a different lifestyle. I think that it, you know so long as you've checked the school out you're happy with it you're happy with the teacher you're happy with what people say about it and you try the school there and you see your child's happy sometimes we have to forget what we think should be done and That's the way we think point. should be done um because you know my husband is is the of all the years that we've been living in spain which i think is in the back, coming to about 30 now um he's still very british mindset and, oh, yes, yeah, it's it's very good that they're learning to do this, 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 and this, but what about basic maths, basic English, basic this? And I'm like, well, you know what, these days in the big wide world, people aren't necessarily looking for that. And the way our children are, the way they're so open-minded, so level-headed and well-travelled, that they're not going to go to a job where you've got to sit down and repeat this 20 times and this, that, the other. So that's, but that's my thought about my kids, you know. Um, and, and we've come across all different level uh, methods of teaching. The school at the rest of the moment, they're doing this NYP. It's an American um, project-based learning where it's not learning by rote. It's you've got to question oh, what you've okay. being taught and be able to express it in your own way and demonstrate it in a different way. You know, so there's, there's everything here. All the schools in Spain are different. There's every different type of education and it's a matter of doing the research and finding out what's
0: right for your child. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's good to know that you know there are uh, you know dynamic uh, curriculums on, on on offer. Yeah, because I think it's true that the temptation is to maybe compare with what we know or knew uh, from in our respective home com- uh, countries. And I think you made a really good point in saying that no, we you have to accept that. Uh, it's you, you, when you decide to move to a different country. When you decide to move to Spain, you have to embrace it wholeheartedly. Everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, and then saying that though, if you do, because like especially if like there's there's families that travel, they go right. We're going to Spain, but we might only be here for a year or two because, for example, mum or dad has a job where they can be relocated somewhere else, and you don't want to disrupt your child's education. You haven't got the luxury of having room for change. Then you have got your classic British schools that follow the British curriculum, and they will teach in, you know, the British way. Um, right more than likely, almost exactly like your child's used to being educated. So that's where you say you don't consider any other school type. You go for a British recognised school. You know, that option's there as well. That's the beauty of it, as I say. Whatever you're looking for, if you do your research, I'm sure you'll find it
0: there's something for every every student every every child yeah 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 um, just
1: like a tapa there's something for everybody isn't
0: there <laughs> i will put uh, links in the show notes to this episode to your blog and the amazon page for your book and uh, uh, other things so people can uh, easily um, find it lisa it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for your time and insight
1: I'm more than happy to receive any questions at all you know I don't claim to know everything at all some of them a lot of what I talk about is based on my own experiences but also the experience of of all the different families we've worked with and all the people that we've helped move over and I say everybody's different you know but don't be scared to ask questions.
0: So that was Lisa Sadlier. As you uh, probably heard in the interview, uh, Lisa has written a book. On this very subject, but it also includes extra chapters on other practicalities that aren't necessarily only relevant to people moving to Spain uh, with children. There are chapters on residency, health insurance, other kinds of practicalities that you might need. If you enjoyed the interview with Lisa and you think her information could be useful for you, do consider uh, buying her book. It's available on Amazon. It's called Moving to Spain with Children. You can find it super easily, it's got a yellow cover. As we also mentioned in the interview, Lisa also runs her blog um, called Family Life in Spain, familylifeinspain.org. Com. I'll put a link to these in the show notes of this episode. So if you're interested in uh, Lisa's observations about, uh, well, family life in Spain, check out her blog. And uh, as we also briefly mentioned right at the beginning of the interview, uh, Lisa runs her own relocation consultancy and uh, personal property finder service for uh, families and professionals or anyone who's specifically planning to move to to the malaga area of spain so that will just about do it for this episode um, just before i go um just in case you're new to this podcast and this is your first uh, episode that you've listened to or indeed if you're very forgetful um when in spain does have a presence on all the usual social media hangouts yes indeed we do we have a very active and friendly facebook group the When in Spain Facebook group Uh, so head over to Facebook search When in Spain find the group hit the join group button and you'd be joining about 1,900 other Spain fans it's a great place to ask questions of other people who are already living here in Spain or who are uh, maybe in the same position as you and planning to come to Spain whether it's to move here permanently or long term or just for a holiday or you're looking for recommendations or advice about something in Spain the When in Spain Facebook group is a really useful resource for that or indeed if you just want to share your photos or any interesting news or articles related to Spain it's a really good place to do that as well. When in Spain also has an Instagram account so if you're into photography um, I really am and I try to take uh, lovely beautiful photos um, as often as I can either around Madrid where I live or uh, other parts of Spain where I've been traveling. Go and check out uh, the Instagram and follow me on there. We're on Twitter although I don't use it much but if that's your mode of communication you can always follow When in Spain on Twitter and tweet me. And if you'd like to get in touch directly with me, maybe with feedback about the podcast or any very specific questions uh, about Spain or about moving to Spain or traveling in Spain or anything at all, please feel free to email me at wheninspain1 at outlook.com. That's when in Spain, the number one at outlook.com as i said at the beginning of the show apologies for the long gap between this and the last episode as i say i've just been really busy with work i've been doing a lot of extra hours it's, <laughs> it's as simple as that i haven't disappeared uh, the podcast hasn't ended don't worry if it ever does i will tell you <laughs> um, but uh, no plans for the podcast to stop anytime soon but on that note any uh, support via Patreon is truly 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 appreciated and because I haven't bought you uh, I've only bought you one episode so far this month and this is the second episode I am going to be bringing you another one in Spain episode uh, in quick succession so uh, before the month is out You will have another episode of When in Spain, which I've already recorded and I just need to put together. So keep your ears out for that as well. Apologies not to give you more content. Uh, I am working on sorting out my timetable. To the When in Spain patrons, um, I'm also uh, ramping up a new project for you guys of bonus content. And I'm just in the stages of uh, planning some video and bonus content for When in Spain patrons as well. Um, I don't think there's anything else left to say um, what news do I have uh, Karina and me have adopted a kitten called Bimba who is two and a half months old and really cute but an, but absolutely full of beans And I'm surprised that uh, she's not running around in the background now but she's soundly asleep next to me I might try and put a photo if I can't remember if I have already if there isn't one already on the Wedding Spain uh, Instagram account I'll put a little photo of Bimba the wonder kitten uh on there for you guys to see that's our news anything else not really um we're just into the grind of autumn and working and i'm already looking forward to a christmas break uh to be honest but anyway there we go so keep your ears out for another new episode coming up really really soon Thank you for continuing to listen and support uh, the podcast and I really, really look forward to speaking to you again really very soon. Muchísimas gracias y hasta luego.